Hey everybody, Kevin Pinnell, host of the People Process Progress podcast. Welcome to show number eight. I had a great opportunity to talk to an early adopter of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Andrew Smith. He's the co-owner of Revolution Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in Richmond, Virginia. And we'll all get to learn from his process, growing to a third degree black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, growing a business such as Revolution Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, starting his own grappling tournament, and expanding beyond that into the online world with BJJ Path, which is a great product I recommend you look up. Uh, Links will be in the show notes. Also, some guest appearances around the 35-ish minute mark from my youngest son who came blazing into the house, so such is life, and from his dog Molly who lets us know um, whether she's comfortable or not. So thanks again, Andrew, for this. Thank you all listeners. We're over 1,000 downloads since yesterday when I put a, a short episode out. I really appreciate everybody's feedback, everybody listening, sharing the show. Please do so. Let's get some more stories. Um, look forward to more great guests. This is a long conversation. It's almost two hours, but... You know what, when folks are just having good conversation about interesting things, and if you want to learn how to grow as a jiu-jitsu practitioner, maybe even as an, as an instructor, check out this show. Thanks a lot. Good luck to you all, and Godspeed. I'm here with Andrew Smith, um, co-owner of Re- Revolution Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in Richmond, Virginia, and many other things, and we'll get into that as, as we talk. Uh, Andrew, thank you again for joining us on the show and sharing your story and, and you know, some processes, particularly Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and other stuff we'll get into um, and just, you know, helping other folks with your perspective uh, to kind of make that progress. So thank you. Well, thank you, Kevin. I'm, I'm uh, excited to be here. I think that what you've done so far has been uh, uh, really good. And I think it's important to break down um, particularly the process aspects. You don't really hear very much about that when you're um, listening to a podcast or learning about uh, things. The, the process part in particular is something that, that really appeals to me, especially as every business I've been involved with has grown over the years. Yeah, I for you know the, the impetus for this, which is really I rebranded, I had another podcast called Between the Slides. And then honestly, the more folks I talked to, it was like, what? So I feel like when you have to explain it a lot, you're like, well, let me make it more obvious. But it, it was largely focused on that. And for the world that I came from of public safety and incident management, like special events, and then project management, it's super process heavy, um, sometimes too much, sometimes informal, you know, and all, everything in between. And in particular, you mentioned, you know, 18 months in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is so still very new, um, but totally getting more of the the understanding of how incremental of a process that is, um, of like every little role, little thing, little tweak, little move. And it's it's kind of mind-blowing even from being so new of how much depth there is in there. Um, so yeah, part of, you know, in episode two, I did a, let me do kind of like a book report, you know, podcast version of, of one variation and, and of, you know, from grappling to the modern Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and there's so many different variations. So I was very interested to see all those different flavors of history and people and, you know, cross discussions and things. And um, so for you, and, I, and I've looked up some of your background and, and heard some of this from when I, I listened to you on um, Dirty Web Walt Radio, which was cool. So folks, if you haven't listened to that, check that out as well. Uh, but your process and about you, of are you from the Richmond area? I know you've been there for a bit and went to VCU. Are you originally from Richmond, Virginia? Uh, no, I actually grew up in Columbia, South Carolina. So about um, 25 years ago, I just wanted sort of a change, and I ended up in the Richmond area. And it's funny, I've been in Richmond for um, a little over 25 years now, and it still doesn't really feel like I'm from here. You know what I mean? I That's, <laughs> there's no other place that I've um, ever traveled to where I think it, it's quite um, so so uh, 
front and center when you're if you didn't grow up in Richmond you're not really from here you know right. and it feels that way to me still even right. I feel like imposter syndrome or something and even in the area it's it's still it's shifted now I grew up in Chesterfield so south side now it's kind of the old old area and I remember just a you know a Richmond thing of someone an intern I think I had when I worked for the state um, and she grew up in Henrico which is you know the place to be so to speak of and and just talking about oh you grew up in Southside like it was such an old place and, and it was so different but the the dichotomy and the change and everything of all the different areas around Richmond I think it's pretty neat but but yeah it's uh there's definitely a very kind of Richmond if you're from there you're you're kind of all in as well uh, one thing we do share Richmond wise is we both went to VCU um, I went back to school um, used my uh, GI Bill and stuff and, and went to VCU and for you starting um, that's where you got into judo first right that's right yeah so I, I wrestled in high school um, I wasn't amazing but I got a lot better my senior year and I was actually starting to get pretty good um, but then I graduated from high school and there just wasn't um, there wasn't wrestling at the college I went to, which was University of South Carolina. Okay. Um, you know, believe it or not, there wasn't a wrestling team there, at least in the 1990s. And I was really bummed because I'd sort of fallen in love with grappling at that point, wrestling, you know. And so, I mean, I wrestled a little bit with um, the high school kids after the season, you know, went to a few freestyle wrestling tournaments. Um, but I, I just wanted more. I wanted to keep going. And there just wasn't anything there. And... Um, I think, ironically, there was a judo club, but I didn't think much about judo back then uh, when I was in South Carolina. And then I moved up to Richmond, and in 1997, I started training judo at the judo club and uh, at VCU, and it was just, I was hooked right away. It was a special um, time for, for martial arts, a special time for judo, um, insofar as there was a lot of sort of things that were coming together at the right place at the right time. You know, the UFC, we have to kind of go back in time. Mm -hmm. The UFC had been on on the air since 1993, but, like, nobody had seen it. You know, I mean, like, right. like literally probably 50,000 people saw the first UFC, and then, um, you know, there was another one, I don't know, like eight months later or something. Mm -hmm. And that's just sort of the way it was. So it was just sort of a niche underground to a degree. But people that were involved with judo um, – they knew about the UFC. They knew about uh, grappling. They were reading, you know, um, uh, martial arts magazines and stuff like that. Like Black Belt Magazine was sort of the, the leader back then right. if you were interested in even grappling because there wasn't – there weren't industry-specific magazines out there. So I think the communities were a lot more interconnected. Um, you had a lot more sort of um, Jeet Kune Do type people. Um, right swimming involved with grappling people you know judo and jiu-jitsu were much more closely related than they sort of are today um which i mean as far as martial arts go they're very very similar as far as like the way the arts are practiced in the culture it's it's pretty different you know judo is a lot more formal um jiu-jitsu is very very laid back which, you know tends to get rid of a lot of the aspects of the tradition and so um maybe it's sort of perceived as like uh, incompatible to a lot of things, you know, to a lot of people. But I was really lucky at VCU. Um, it wasn't really like that. There were people coming over from uh, jujitsu schools throughout town. And, and um, you know, when I started competing in, in jujitsu um, before I actually started formally training in it, I'd had experience at the judo club traveling around um, training, um, going to seminars, stuff like that, but no consistent regular training. Um, and that was, you know, it was possible back then and it was possible because of the 
particular circumstances that I had to actually do pretty well when I competed in some of those uh, arenas because I had, you know, of course, judo um, experience from the judo club, but also good grappling, you know, especially for the time. Um, We had people who wrestled before, but also people that were actively training in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and I think that was uncommon back then. So that's sort of how um, things got started for me when I moved to the Richmond area. I was really, really lucky, fell into the right place, you know. That's awesome. I mean, yeah, that it seems that that mid '90s, later '90s thing was the, you know, some of the folks that have been around it for a while and, and kind of senior uh, American wise seems like the the kind of groundbreaking piece. And and I just I went back both for the the other podcast I did and just I'm a YouTube freak for watching. You know, my wife's like, oh, another jujitsu video, awesome. Uh, but watching like the second one and you know looking through and even you can see the commentators start to pick up more. So they got different commentators that actually knew the moves or trained with the Gracie's or something like that. And, um, you're, when you talk about the, the judo, how did you find, so did you find yourself combining, um, and, and other than some of the judo, like I did at revolution warmups, which was great. Um, I haven't done just judo before. Did you find from your wrestling and then the judo that when you competed in jujitsu before you were training that you kind of mash those together or did judo have more ground as well so you could apply that for the jiu-jitsu players or, or how did how did that go not having started training well you know so um i think it's really not fair to say that i wasn't training at all in jiu-jitsu simply because i was very interested in going from uh um going in and participating in classes like we would travel out of town and go and actually visit academies to train there oh, wow. um we did, didn't feel there was a good place to train in the richmond area um back then so um you know friends would would, would travel together and go to places and also go to seminars and things of that nature of course we were studying video and books and everything that we could get our hands on in terms of the knowledge um but judo also had a little bit of a different culture back then it's important to understand i think that um not a lot of people understand that judo is sort of there's if you look at sport judo there's four ways to win and only one of them is by throwing the person you know oh wow so you can pin the person you can pass their guard basically and keep them flat on their back you can finish with a choke or you can finish with a joint lock and those that's sort of described as the four ways to win you know when you're when judo is being described to you but what's sort of happened in the um since the time that i started doing judo is that uh the IOC, International Olympic Committee, and, and various other organizations have sort of um, insisted that judo look a particular way, um, that it, it sort of features high dynamic throws. They've gotten rid of um, being able to grab the legs, grab the pants. And um, so it's sort of the way that uh, the sport is um, desired by a, a certain group of people to look. Mm. I mean, I think that um, it's probably fair to say that we've seen some of that in Brazilian jiu-jitsu as well over the years, but maybe not quite as great of a sort of perversification of the original intent that we've seen with judo. Um, You know, I I think that it's almost like a trope to say this, but, um, you know, the sport has changed so much over the last quarter of a century or so that it almost almost doesn't resemble uh, what it used to be in a lot of ways, um, there was a great deal more grappling on the ground. So like for me personally, when I started judo, I started competing, um, you know, I was, I was okay at taking people down and throwing people, you know, just from wrestling and from just having a good base. Um, but I was really good at pinning people. And so that's sort of where I focused initially. 
um, before I kind of realized, okay, well, this is judo and, you know, it's really kind of a good opportunity to test out throws against people who understand throws. And that's what I started doing much more of. And with Brazilian jiu-jitsu, it was kind of like, well, this is a um, predominantly ground art, so I should test out the stuff on the ground. But of course, initially, when you first start competing, you want to win. <laughs> right, right. So I was like, well, I could win by throwing people in, in jiu-jitsu and, and by beating people on the ground in judo, really to kind of put a long story short. So that's what I started doing. But yeah, there was, gotcha. I mean, that's one of the biggest changes with um, judo over the last, you know, um, slice of time mm. since I've been doing it is really it took away a lot of the sort of more effective takedowns i think that didn't end up with like dynamic big powerful looking throws right uh and and there's really no other way to describe it than it's a bias against wrestlers which i really don't like i think that if you uh, um, can't beat somebody you should figure out how to beat them and not um <laughs> complain about <laughs> it and make them illegal or whatever but um so that that's sort of been the the evolution over the years the the idea that um throwing people uh is the main objective you have to you can't really grapple so much on the ground now and that's so i think that's really colored the way that judo is is taught and trained in a lot of places nowadays right yeah i mean i again having not really delved into judo on its own so to speak the the that that's what i thought and then and probably i guess as a, as a you know from what you're talking about the the change is that's what you see is the highlights of the big throw and the you know that thing, so you you see hardly any ground game or anything like that. So it's interesting to hear the the change for the perception or you know for entertainment value. Do you think was part of the influence? Like, hey, this this will be more popular if it's big throws instead of people grappling each other on the ground. Yeah, I mean, it must be, you know, it's sort of for the same reason that um, I think maybe submission only tournaments are not very spectator friendly in um, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu competitions you know i mean it's something that u.s grappling offers um at least a couple of times a year the no time limit submission only tournament and like if you're looking at it from we want to test out who you know who's got the best submission offense versus defense there's no question that's a better way to do it but then if you're like well yeah but we want to put it on tv too well <laughs> you start <laughs> some problems there and with judo you know i think that um few people could understand really what was going on on the ground and there's still groundwork in judo. There's still chokes, arm locks, and pins in judo. You can still win the same ways. It's just that whereas before you might get 30 seconds on the ground, now you get like five seconds, six seconds, seven seconds before oh, wow. they're going to stand back up and get you back up on the feet. If you're in the middle of doing something like passing a guard and you're active, they're going to let you keep working. Okay. But, I mean, you know, when you're doing jiu-jitsu, like you think in terms of, okay, I want to pass this person's guard. It's going to take me – I don't know, a minute, two minutes, maybe three. Um, no big deal. I'll take my time. I'll get past their guard and I'll establish my position. Um, judo is very different. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing either, that there are different approaches because there's different objectives with each um, martial art, right? Like judo, you know, one of the great things about it is that you can throw somebody onto the ground with force. So if somebody's coming at you from a self-defense perspective, um, you can pretty easily – uh, potentially disable them without having to go to the ground, which can be, you know, enormously beneficial if there's say multiple attackers or something like that. Right. Whereas, you know, with Brazilian jiu-jitsu, it's sort of a, there, it's not that the throws aren't there in jiu-jitsu. Mm. Um, most academies still teach throws, mm. you know, in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, it's just that the focus has shifted so much. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you the, the one time you don't do a good landing when you get, 
you know, hip toss and you hit kind of like a sack of meat on the mat, even, even on a mat, then thinking about that happening, you know, we're having to do that to a bad guy, you know, or somebody that's coming after you and they hit a concrete. It's just, that's a horrible, horrible thought, but good to know, you know, if you learn those skills, you can kind of defend yourself or whatever. But, um, yeah, the, the, the throws are, are wild and, and trips and, and things are, but that's something too, that, that I see a lot is, you know, the, doing a lot of stand up versus not a lot of stand up um, in jujitsu classes um, or changes there and, and uh, kind of get, get into that or, or coming back to that. So you talked about other schools or maybe circling back to that, not a lot of jujitsu schools. So how did you get linked up with um, uh, Julio Fernandez and, and coming under his instruction? Well, we were introduced to Julio um I'll use the hard J. That's how he says it. Hard J, um, sorry, yeah. That's okay. Um, uh, through Eric. Uh, Eric Berto started Richmond BJJ in January of 2002. It was January 2nd. Uh, I was there for his very first class, and I am eternally grateful that Eric uh, had the guts to start an academy back when he did. Um, you know, I, I've always been entrepreneurial, but I certainly – um, didn't have the qualifications or the the drive to start a gym all the way back then. Um, but Eric got the blessing from Julio and um, Eric trained with Julio in Vermont. And um, I think Eric uh, is largely um, responsible for, for bringing good jujitsu to the area. Uh, he's not the only person who did that, but I think at a time when it was sorely needed, um, he did. And, uh, we were introduced to Julio um, maybe within a year or so, kind of got to know him over time, really over the last uh, nearly 20 years. Um, wow. We've gotten to know Julio quite well, uh, a lot better. But if it wasn't for Eric, um, I likely still wouldn't have met Julio. You know, I, I don't know exactly what I'd be doing. I'm, I'm sure that I would be doing jiu-jitsu in some capacity, but um, maybe maybe not as good at jiu-jitsu, maybe not as far along, you know. Right. Um, I owe Eric a lot, you know, especially in the in the beginning in, here in Richmond. Um, he had a lot to do with with those early days. And what um, what belt was he when he started uh, the school? Was he a black belt? No, this is no. Eric was a purple belt back then. Mm-hmm. So this is a time when um, <laughs> part of this tells you a lot about how far the sport has come. Where right. where purple belt was sort of a, a pretty good, reasonable standard to have a school. Um, and I mean, nowadays it's it's hard to imagine starting a school if you're not a black belt. It's hard to imagine possibly being able to justify that. But I think there are still remote areas in the country where it makes sense. Um, you know, I've gotten out and traveled a little more than most people that do jujitsu. I think in terms of visiting academies and teaching right. at various different places and everything. And so I've seen kind of what's out there, and I know that it's the gap is closed a lot, but it's still got a long way to go. Right. But anyway, back then, you know, even even a metropolitan area, you know, this is like. You know, 1993, the UFC's on television. Right. Um, you know, maybe uh, a few thousand people know what Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is. Um, you know, you have to fast forward almost 10 years before you hit a, a sort of a critical mass where you could have schools sort of organically opening up and, and doing reasonably well. Um, I think there was another giant paradigm leap upward with um, the Ultimate Fighter being on television, you right. know, on cable TV around 2005 or so. And it wasn't until that jump that, um, I mean, that's that's when Revolution BJJ opened up was after, okay. right after that. So I mean, if it hadn't been for that, it would have been tough to um, tough to see, say, Revolution BJJ being as successful as it is today. 
without first having that sort of like, um, you know, critical mass of, of people, the number of people that are interested. But back then, you know, mm. I mean, Purple Belt was, you're almost like a god. Super if you're high, yeah. I was going to say, yeah, and, and, you know, part of kind of that, you know, that question as well, too, because I know where I trained here, which uh, with uh, Tim Mannon at, at his school, Tim Mannon, um, he a long time ago as well started, uh, I think, as a blue belt. So to your point of, you know, it's amazing the perspective of, you know, the knowledge that folks could get that early in the sports popularity in America, at least, um, was pretty awesome. And the, and the, the stuff that you learned and you hear it with other folks, other, I listened to like Joe Rogan and Jocko Willink's podcast and they're big into jujitsu. So similar themes. So it's cool to think about, you know, that, that starting that process of growing jujitsu in America. And then now looking at, to your point, you know, stop going to revolution and all the black belts that are there or, or here and other, other schools that, that you see. And, um, it, it's pretty awesome to, to think about how that's grown. So, so in 95, uh, or not 95, uh, 2005, you said, or did I totally mess that up um, for when Revolution opened? It opened up in February of 2006, officially. Um, yeah, and it was inside of a karate school. So um, wow. I've always been one to sort of like um, put a foot in the water and not dive in head first, so to speak. Um, and so I saw that partnering with somebody like that would have made a lot of sense, and that's what I did. Um there was a really good guy named Brian Kennedy, who was a karate guy, ran a karate school back then called Silky Sandong Karate. Um, and I got to know some good people through him. And Brian was a square shooter. He would always, um, we had an agreement. You know, he always stuck to the agreement. He always did a good job with uh, with what he said he was going to do. And so I, I really had it good in the beginning. And I didn't have to really, I wasn't responsible for anything other than just getting students to show up for the classes. So I gotcha sort of learn the marketing aspects pretty early on and I could really focus on, you know, just, just getting people to come into the gym, um, and teach classes, you know, build a curriculum and teach, teach the classes, which was pretty awesome. A lot of gym owners sort of think that's everything and that's what they're going to be doing. But, um, the reality is, is very, very different. You know, you're going to probably spend, uh, 75 or 80% of your time doing stuff that you don't especially want to do. <laughs> if you want to be successful or have, you know, a business with doors open after a year or two. Uh, but, you know, that's sort of the way, that's sort of the curse of business ownership. You know, you're, you're destined for people not to really understand what it is that you're going th- going through unless they're uh, also entrepreneurial. All right. Um, so, so when you, so you had space um, in an existing gym and for you, how long had you been, how long had you been um, a practitioner at that point when you started Revolution there? So I started at the judo club in 1997. Um, I think it's fair to say that there was some kind of a blend between judo and jujitsu toward the beginning for me. And it's tough to say exactly when I started jujitsu, but if you use that as a baseline, it was probably about nine years of, of, uh, grappling with submissions. submissions. Yeah. And I mean, you know, today for somebody who's been training for nine years to start a gym is, (laughs) it seems woefully underqualified to me, you know, just given the opportunities of people that are out there that have been training 20 plus years that, you know, are capable of doing that kind of thing. Right. Um, but again, you know, we're talking about exponential growth, um, in this industry and just, you know, watching it from the sidelines has been almost breathtaking. That's which is great. And one, thanks for the, the hard work for, the, for those of us that have jumped in there. And so how did that go in the beginning? You talk about the, 
you know, the, the rolling and the teaching, I imagine, was was great. And then the administrative, the marketing, the, the everything else, uh, you know, how did it go the first few years uh, of starting the school? And, and what were some of the lessons you learned there that you've carried through kind of to now? Well, it was quite a battle in the beginning, you know, just to get people in the door. And I quickly realized that that was sort of the most important thing uh, for me to do, uh, because if we didn't have students, we wouldn't have a gym. Um, Fortunately, I didn't have to do all the other stuff like bookkeeping and accounting and stuff that I didn't really have much interest in doing. Um, in retrospect, it might have been really good if I'd learned how to do that stuff earlier. But <laughs> you know, you don't really get the benefit of hindsight until you know the time has passed. Uh, but so marketing was was a was a huge central focus. Um, but for me, I didn't really. Um, I didn't really fall in love with the idea of hustling and trying to get people to sign up and all that kind of stuff. Right. I wasn't interested in that. I, I you know, um, never really been motivated purely by profit. I always want to do something that's kind of um, more, I don't know, noble, more meaningful than that. Right. And so it wasn't really until I put two and two together and I said, oh, if I have more students, it actually makes the quality of training better for everybody, including me that I became very motivated to sign people up, you know, when I finally started seeing, oh, I can have a direct impact on how good the training is for everybody here if I just pay attention to this. Gotcha. Led me to want to pay attention more and, and you know, build a better um, uh, curriculum. I was always interested in education, but, you know, it's like we're not running, um, we're not drill sergeants running running boot camp here, right? right. Like we don't, we don't have a captive audience. We, at the end of the day, you've got to have people coming back and interested in training and enthusiastic about training. And just because I was motivated a particular way, uh, didn't necessarily mean that everybody was going to be motivated that way. So that's probably one big takeaway was sort of the realization eventually that um, the way that I liked learning, the, the, the things that I valued highly weren't necessarily the same things that other people valued highly in their lives. And I had to take the time to understand that and get to know it. Which, which is good. So the, I imagine you got some perspective from like the early students, from early partners. Did you and uh, Trey Martin, who's your you know co-owner now, start that at the same time, or did you guys link up soon afterwards? Um, and you know, the other kind of following question that to I have too is, did you find that the additional students, the variety of people, personalities, body types, the way they learned and rolled together is what helped that quality of the training um, beyond just volume, but, you know, the variation of, of people and styles. So I guess with, with Trey, who's, you know, your, your partner now, how did you all link up um, early then? Because he is a very similar uh, lineage, at least, training, I think, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, so Trey and I um, each started our own gyms. And, wow. you know, in retrospect, it wasn't it was relatively early on, but back then it seemed like we'd had our own gyms for a long time. You know, okay. they were pretty well established. Um, Revolution BJ opened in um, 2006 and kind of did our thing for a while, grew a, a little bit of a presence. I was super enthusiastic about uh, competing. You know, I was gotcha. an avid competitor um, back in when I was much younger. I would travel like every weekend or every other weekend to compete at a time when you had to go pretty far to be able to find anything to do. And so, you know, so competition was an early kind of focus for, for revolution BJJ. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and with with Trey, I think uh, competition was important to him as well. May not have been at the same level of importance as it is or as it was for me uh, back then. But we had some differences and a lot of similarities in between the two locations. But for the time, you know, uh, Trey actually mentioned to me at a point, you know, and we've gotten along well. We'd been friends. We'd worked together with U.S. Grappling and stuff like that. Gotcha. Uh, I'd, I'd gotten to know Trey pretty well over the years, um, and I felt you know comfortable with him. Um, he made an offer like, "Hey, listen, man, if you know ever things don't work out, just like let me know. Maybe we can merge together." Oh, and wow. I, you know, first, I was like, "Well, you know, things are working out okay. You know, I like Brian Kennedy. He's a good dude." Um, well, Brian Kennedy had sort of a midlife crisis and um, sold his business, and so um, when the ownership changed hands, uh, it wasn't the same, and so. I was definitely interested in, in moving on. And so that's when uh, Trey's offer came to the, the forefront for me. And then meanwhile, keep in mind, Trey had also sort of um, started his own thing, um, gotcha. had like a 6 a.m. 6 class that he started and some other classes that I wasn't offering. Um, I had some, some things that he wasn't um, offering. And so when we merged the two things together, we just had more offerings for people. Right. Um, both of us were able to teach and neither of us really knew um, very much about going into business or building a partnership or any of that kind of stuff. So we learned it very much as we went along, oh, wow. um, you know, and, and we brought Daniel on as a partner, Daniel Frank on as a partner, um, years later. And we, we understood that process a lot better by then, uh, thankfully. And, but it took us a long time to kind of get used to that, you know, what it meant to be business partners and what it meant to just like run a business, you know, right. We went to college on our own dime, I guess is one way to put it. Which, yeah, it seems sometimes just exposure and, and getting through it's, uh, you know, the best teacher. Although at the time, I'm sure sometimes it didn't feel like it. And for me, as you as you talked about that and the blending of the morning class and the different aspects that you had and, and picturing in my head the revolution schedule, um, it's cool to go, oh, that ties to, you know, how you all merged and, and the history of that. And it's cool because there's, there's just tons of offerings. And I've said this before, you know, so folks, anyone listen to this and, and I actually have a friend who's starting in March in intro class. Um, he was a Richmond firefighter. He's doing EMS coordination with a hospital in the area. And, um, so he's, he's going to be coming to revolution soon, but, but check it out if you're in Richmond. Um, but, but yeah, I can picture the schedule. And so thinking about how you all came together and how you built that, which is, talk about process and, and planning and things like that, that, you know, I've talked about and, and, you know, been part of to do that for that many folks and, and then grow the location. And, uh, that's, that's pretty awesome. So that's a, that's a really cool kind of story to share from, uh, from there. And so the, so when did you move into your own space? Was that at the same time when, when you and Trey linked up like to where revolution is now? Or was that yeah, much so later? Trey, Trey already had his own, um, spot and this was um up the road a bit from where we are now um you know same kind of general area of town a little bit further north along staples mill if you're familiar with that area but you know he he had his thing going for a little while there and um my school was much further west like the far west end and so when we synced up it made sense to move in with trey because you know i had like an abusive uh relationship that had gone south basically gotcha, right <laughs> metaphorical way to put it yeah. um and you know we linked up and we moved over there and then it wasn't for about another year and a half that um which is you know coming pretty close to coinciding with the time when i had that sort of eye-opening moment where i realized that growing the gym was not 
just motivated by money. It wasn't just something that was going to help our bottom line or anything like that. It was going to help improve the overall quality of everything. You know, not only could we have more students and more training partners was good, but we could probably offer more classes. We could probably pay instructors. You know, we could probably have some equipment that we purchased and maybe one day we could even get a better facility. Right. And so that's the direction we sort of started heading in maybe in late 2010, early 2011. Um, and then when we decided that we were going to move, you know, we were, it was necessitated by growth. Um, uh, but it was more necessitated by that place was, um, the, the ownership had changed. There was a new owner that was moving into the building. They were turning it into like a nightclub basically before oh, that wow. it was a weight, a weight facility and huh. you know, where, where there was a jujitsu school in the back corner and like that was okay. The weight room thing, it was kind of gross and kind of dirty and the culture <laughs> wasn't, but it was a whole lot better than like a nightclub, you know, and it, when it became a nightclub, we were like, we got to get out of here. Oh, wow. So we started looking around and it just happened that the time when we started looking around coincided with the time when, I became really interested in helping the business grow. Um, gotcha. And I think Trey caught some of that fever as well, though I probably obsessed over it a little more than he did. <sighs> and we grew. Um, we started growing. We started becoming a, a bigger business, a bigger entity, more people. And we went from like, once we moved into the new facility, I think we had like 60 members when we moved in. Wow. And within that first year, we were up to like 160 or something. It was just crazy how fast we grew once we got into a better facility and started you know, actually paying attention to growing, attempted to grow, attempted to get bigger. That's awesome. Was a lot of that uh, word of mouth from the original, you know, the 60 folks you had and then them sharing. And then did you also increase uh, like online presence or commercials? Cause you all are, have also put out a lot of great videos as well. And we'll get into BJJ path, but even on YouTube, uh, you know, putting videos out, do you, do you, is there any one thing or a couple key things that you attribute that that's pretty significant growth to? Yeah. Um, I, I think, uh, Facebook marketing was a really large part of it, really large part of it back then. Um, I think I, I was really, really ahead of the curve. Um, this, I mean, this isn't really tooting my own horn because I had many years of experience promoting us grappling tournaments. Okay. So I sort of understood the idea of event promotion, you know, getting people to show up for events. And because those were one-off events, when we started doing our um, introductory program, which is essentially a bunch yeah. of individual one-off events, it made sense to use the same skill set over there. And that's that's exactly what I did. I, I sort of yeah. t took the same skills that I already had and just applied them in a different arena. Um, it's sort of like when I started doing... Um, I uh, started competing in jiu-jitsu tournaments and I would just apply the judo skill so that I had in, in jiu-jitsu tournaments or, you know, wrestling for judo. It's not, not really any different from that. Just applying the same exact skill set okay. in a little different arena. So the, the getting people to show up for events with Facebook marketing, this is, you know, 2011, 2012, yeah. 10, the world was different back then. You know, it wasn't, um, we were creeping into web 2.0 maybe. And that was right. about it. Um, the rules are all different now and, and um, because other things are important and other things have changed with our business, you can sort of tell our Facebook marketing presence is like not a very significant portion of what we do. Right. But back then it was really, really big. And yeah, of course, word of mouth, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. definitely there's, there's no better substitute for word of mouth. Um, it's just that you hit a wall at a certain point with word of mouth and you're only going to get so many people as a function of the number of students that you have right now. And if you're looking to grow a little bit faster than that, you kind of have to go outside of the word of mouth. Um, now where we are right now with 
social media day. We do paid advertising and stuff like that, sure. But um, I mean, our best students are still predominantly going to come from word of mouth you right. know, because once you have good culture, you just want the same types of people in there. You don't really want. Um, let's let's try to get a new entirely new type of person in here. You know, you don't need to do that. You just say let's get the type of person that we like that's already in here. Gotcha. And so yeah, that that's sort of where we are now. But there, you know, back then also it was pretty easy to be good at Facebook marketing. <laughs> Sorry. That was amazing. Uh, can you? Can you <laughs> I was wondering. I was like, can you hear that? And I'm looking at like the input. All my uh, all my kids had playdates today, and so now, of course, uh, my youngest, who's the smallest and the most loud, <laughs> just got home. And so. Well, I'm here with uh, our senior dog Molly, so she may also be loud at some point. She's been pretty quiet so far, but she may uh, let it known, let it be known when she's not super comfortable with a position or something like that. Oh wow! How old is she? She is 17. Oh wow, that's awesome. Um, and you have you have on a rash guard, right? I think I saw from one of your videos or, or some of them on there. That's like right, custom yeah. rash Molly guard. Her own rash guard, yep. That's awesome. The um, uh, what was the thing? Oh, the uh, the Facebook ad. So, because now posting, whether it's like, hey, here's a new episode, or you know, whatever you post now, there's automatically you get that button. It's like, do you want to boost this? Do you want to pay this much for this many listeners or anything like that? So, when you did Facebook marketing before, was it was it paid marketing then, or just the fact that you were marketing business on Facebook that was kind of newer? Just because I, I hadn't done, I just did the you know personal Facebook stuff. But now you see it, you know, they're, they're, you know, prompt you all the time now. How did, how did you key into that marketing there? Was it, um, like paid advertisement or just, you were very active on it? No, it was, it was, um, it was organic. You know, it wasn't really anything that in the beginning that was paid for. Although, um, when the, there was something, it was called something before it was called boosting a post. Maybe it was like sponsoring uh, a post or something. I don't know. But okay. um, then when they started doing that and allowing you to pay for individual things like that as opposed to like for on the campaign level, mm. I mean, I was on board. I was interested in it. But, um, you know, stuff like creating events and inviting people and just putting the elbow grease in there to make it a good event or make it a decent um you know, post on Facebook, whatever it is. Right. That's the kind of stuff that I paid the most attention to. And then I thought about, you know, how you can do stuff like you can tag people in a um, photograph where they have um, their geotagged as having been at the location. I mean, it's really common now, but uh, in 2009, um, there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of people doing this. Maybe like, um, you know, uh, 2% of Facebook users understood how to do that stuff. You right. know? So it's just starting out by paying, you know, paying attention to what other people were doing, reading up on it, learning, you know as much as we could about the marketing aspect of, of it through social media. And this is back when Facebook was it, you know, for yeah. social media before right. that it was MySpace. And I was going to say, did you get into MySpace for marketing at all? Or that was very you know much what? more personal, wasn't it? It was more personal, but it still had its uses. And, okay. um, I mean, yeah, I got, I got students from MySpace for sure. Oh, wow. I got students from Facebook, got students from, I mean, everything that we've done on social media, at some point, we've gotten somebody from it um, to come in. But I think disproportionately, Facebook would be the all-time king. Okay. And I think that was where you know, the external marketing efforts beyond word of mouth really came into play. Um, we also we did invest in um, early on, like in 2012, we invested in window tent for the gym. Um, oh, gotcha. 
which I think gives the you know Revolution BJJ kind of an iconic look to an extent. We can we cover the entire windows with the the logo basically, right. so you could see it from the main road. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I hadn't seen that anywhere else before, and I still haven't. Um, neither in Richmond or, or really anywhere in the um, nearby area. So I don't know if that, uh, you know, we have had people tell us that they saw our sign and it came in because of that. So I gotcha. mean, obviously it was effective to some degree. Right. Do you, do you, um, so you mentioned getting that feedback. Do you, do you capture um, that? So when someone does sign up, it, it, cause I, I don't remember if it's, um, you know, Hey, how did you hear about us? And you know, do you go, do you all capture that? Yeah, we do. Okay, that's uh, one of one of the things that we get. There's two questions that we ask, and I mean, I think that I would encourage any any school owner to ask both. Um, one is, um, how did you hear about us? You know, specifically, and that usually is a marketing question. Right. And then the other one is, um, what made you want to start training martial arts in the first place? Mm. Uh, and that's usually a different answer. You know, right. people want to start because of um, you know uh, self defense. So they want to start because of um, uh, their friends are doing it, a sense of camaraderie, you know, they wanted to fight, whatever it is. Right. But then what, how they heard about us is it's rarely that they heard about us and then decided they wanted to start training, you know. So that's also kind of eye-opening to understand that there's a whole group of people out there in the world that um, know they want to do martial arts, don't necessarily know the gyms in the area. So they're already looking around. And, you know, to that, because I remember when I first started looking, it was, yeah, hey, okay, I do want to try this. I've heard about it in various places. And then looking up the different gyms. And fortunately now, unlike we talked about before, you know, earlier years, there's there's a lot of choices. Um, and so for me, looking at and going and observing and meeting uh, and then, you know, just doing it and signing up. Um, but would is that something you would encourage for the potential practitioner to – you know, check out a gym, get the feel of it, meet the instructors and, and then decide what you're going to do if you're going to take the leap. Yeah. Um, it, I think it's really important to be able to get a sort of taste the soup before you buy the whole thing. You know, um, you know, the, not every gym's culture is going to be the same and not every gym is actually going to pay any attention to culture. In fact, mm. so finding a gym that has a culture that, um, fits well with your, personality is extremely important. You know, I'll give you a couple of examples. Like Revolution BJJ chooses to focus more on the individual martial art of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu uh, and Muay Thai right. uh, and, and Judo and less on blending them together. Um, and in fact, so far to the, degree, to the degree of less than blending them together is that we just don't do any MMA training at all. You know, we're not interested in that. It's not what we do. Right. There are gyms in the area that do specialize in MMA, and the person who comes into our gym to train that's interested in that would be better served going to one of those locations. Gotcha. Um, a lot of people, of course, they don't, you know, they think they want to do MMA and they come <laughs> in and, you know, it turns out I really just want to do sport jujitsu or I really would just want to do, learn the art of jujitsu or whatever. That's cool. That's fine. Um, but if somebody really wants to go out there and fight, you know, trying to be all things for all people is a really dangerous thing to do, a really bad thing to do. Um, you know, that's, that goes to like specialization being something that you can offer when you have a lot more locations now, right? right? So you don't have to be the right thing for everybody. You have that critical mass where specialization makes a lot of sense. Um, but it also goes to, 
you know, we've chosen this route. It doesn't mean it's the right route. It's just the right, the route that works for us, you know, right. um, the route that works for, um, a gym that does blend in, you know, does do, uh, uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu at the same time as like wrestling and Muay Thai, they put it all together. Um, that's their, their conscious decision, or maybe it was an unconscious decision, but it's a decision that they made that we haven't. It doesn't mean either one is right. What it means is that people have more choices now. And so that's a really good thing. You know, you mentioned folks getting a perception, uh, and I'll, I'll make an assumption. I know what that means, but that it's from something they saw probably like online or UFC or, you know, some, some match thinking, Oh, I, I want to do that. Um, and then getting the eye opener, whether it's, Oh no, I don't want to do this. Or to your point, changing from, you know, I don't necessarily want to get, you know, elbowed in the face. I actually do want to do this, you know, on purpose anyway, even though elbows happen, you know, <laughs> jujitsu, but, um, is that something too, as an instructor and, you know, someone that's focused on the culture that you help navigate folks through. So they come in and they have this one perception and then they see what the gym's all about and what it offers and then helping them get to, um, you know, a good decision, something that would fit for them and talking them through that. Do you have a lot of folks that, that kind of come to you and ask those kind of questions and that you help guide to, you know, one of the arts or even a couple? Cause I know some folks take Muay Thai and Jiu Jitsu and, and there's different combinations, but do you have those conversations often or, or, or Daniel or the other instructors as well? Yeah. You know, the intro program for us is really that taste in the soup thing, you know? Right. And so, um, it's designed to be, um, you know, short enough so that it's not so much of a commitment that people aren't going to be interested in making it, but long enough to where, um, I guess it's, it's really a two way street. You know, the person gets to try it out and find out if the martial art itself is right for them. Um, but we also get to find out if they're right for the gym. And so if the person is going to damage, you know, be a danger to the other students that are in there and mess up the culture in any way, we're not going to want to sign them up. And, that's totally our prerogative. We don't have to sign everybody up that goes through the intro. We don't have to attempt to sign everybody up who goes through the intro. And in fact, we really shouldn't try to sign everybody up who goes through the intro. Gotcha. So from our perspective, we want to slow everything down a little bit in the beginning by encouraging people to walk through an intro program. Um, you know, you can't walk into our, our gym as a beginner and just try a class. You have to try a whole program. And some people are like, well, you know, you're not going to get a lot of people because of they're not going to commit, you know, they're going to want to have tried the class for free, like they can try it down the road or whatever. And I kind of disagree with that based on market psychology and what we've seen, but also based on what we're actually offering. We're offering like a real experience of the gym, not just kind of a one-off that gives our best face forward. You know, we're giving you the real, you know, the real opportunity to experience this martial art. So, um, if somebody's doing both arts or is interested in doing both arts, we're definitely going to explicitly talk to them. <clears throat> but I think more of the conversation really happens when they actually try the program out for themselves and decide, you know, if that's the approach that they want to take or if they're looking for a different approach. And, uh, and for the intro, uh, you mentioned, so did that start when the new location opened or is that, was that another kind of realization of, uh, was that an early thing where you realized, Hey, we should do this. Um, because I would imagine there, you didn't, you go, you all didn't have an intro program in the nineties, right? Was that more of a jump in and then lessons learned going, you know what, we should, we should ease people into this. That's right. There weren't, there wasn't anything like an intro program in the nineties. It was, um, it was very like you get thrown to the wolves and then it was sink or swim, Mm. you know? And for me, I was lucky enough to be kind of a rough kid growing up. I didn't mind playing tackle football with my friends in the backyard or, 
occasionally in the street because we weren't very bright, you know. (laughs) (laughs) We would, I would, I liked wrestling. I was, you know, I was into like physically being tough, I guess. Right. And so for me, being tough was no problem. I enjoyed it. Um, Part of it was kind of cool. Um, But I mean, the thing that you did was you got thrown out there into the class, and there wasn't a beginner class and an advanced class. There was a class, you know. Mm. Um, Most jujitsu gyms would have two or three classes a week in the beginning. Okay. Um, so you didn't have room for any of the other classes. Again, back to that whole critical mass thing. You don't have enough people to make um, skill divisions in there. You might have, you know, six or seven people in a class, and so you jump in there right. and you train. And the thing that the instructors were thinking about was not, um, oh, I should, you know, coddle this person and carefully integrate them. The thing that the person was thinking about was, this is jujitsu. This is what we do. Uh, if you don't, true. if you don't like it, screw you. You know, mm-hmm. that's kind of the mentality that everybody had back then now that definitely changed over the years um the intro course that we do at revolution as far as i know nobody else in the country is exactly doing it the same way that we're doing it there's a few things that differentiate it but um you know the gist of of just having this kind of like trial period that's custom tailored for an individual that starts at, at a particular time and finishes at a particular time so that you aren't finishing it alone. You're going through it with multiple people. Mm-hmm. You know, those are the types of things that sort of differentiate it to a degree from, uh, many of the rest of the programs out there in the country. But yeah, just the idea of having a segmented beginner program that is just for, you know, interest is just for people walking in who don't have any experience, who have very limited experience, or maybe who are rusty or coming back after a while. Um, you know, having that particular program, that's something that didn't happen for us until 2011 mm-hmm. toward the end. And that was when we got into the new facility. We were actually, um, uh, if you, you know, folks that are listening or whatever that have been to Revolution BJJ, that's 2125 Staples Mill was the first room that we had. That was 1,500 square feet. But before that, we were down at the very end of that shopping center for about two months. Because as I mentioned before, we had to kind of get out of the place where we were before pretty quickly. We had to make a hasty retreat. And when we um, <clears throat> when we moved, we had to do a build out. Um, and thankfully, Trey was good with uh, build outs, constructions, that type of stuff. He understood the business, and he was able to navigate us through that build out. But we still had a couple of months where we were we would have been essentially homeless. Um, but the place down at the end of the shopping center was available, and so we were able to take that over for uh, just just long enough to do a little bit of business and to start our first intro programs. And we started both Muay Thai and Brazilian Jiu Jitsu that year. And we still have people that train with us that went through that very first Jiu Jitsu program, which is kind of awesome. That is awesome. Do you remember in, in, um, it started in 2018, September 2018, I think, and, um, was first down there, I think when construction was happening for the other parts, um, or the desk was temporarily moved down there or something. So it's, and now it's amazing to see the, the space down there. Um, so what, what was it before you all, was it just vacant, empty space? And then you all had to kind of frame out and get the pads and everything on there. Or was it a, another business before that? Um, well, so the twenty one twenty five spot, the very first one that we moved into was another business, but it had been about a decade, uh, maybe a little bit longer since there had been, anything in there making any money, like actually oh, transact money. Um, and I think it was kind of similar with the whole shopping center. Although when we first started out, there was the one spot that we took and then 
the two spaces next door were there for storage. So 2125 was the spot that we had. 2127 and 2129 were storage, and then 2131 and on down were taken up by other businesses. And so the the two places that were there for storage, um, we ended up expanding into in 2014. Um, we Moved into 2125 and 2012. Went from, I think I said we had about 60 when we first started, um, maybe 55, something like that. Uh, blew up, got up to um, something like 175 before we actually expanded. Wow. And instead of, instead of just growing by one unit, we decided we wanted to go to two because otherwise we would be in the same boat after a couple of years. And we were right. That was a good move. Wow. So, 2125 through 2129, we had the three units, which is 4,500 square feet, and that was good. And that carried us to about 400 students. And when wow. we hit 400 students, we hit a pretty solid wall that we needed more space in order to grow. And so we are um, probably only around 450 students right now, um, but we need we we don't we don't require any additional space in order to continue to grow. That's one of the really good things. We've oh, gotten nice. to the point where we can continue to grow. The bigger bottleneck is probably going to be parking, um, oh, which right. we're starting to go through the process of solving that problem. Um, we are training instructors constantly all the time. We're really in a fortunate spot having a lot of upper belts with us. You know, um, we got like fifteen black belts now. Um, wow training with us which is just you know amazing um quite a few brown belts that just you know a couple of them just got promoted we got quite a few purple belts too um but i mean more to that more to the point where we're actually actively trying to uh facilitate training of these people and not just saying okay well, we have a, a black belt so we have somebody who can become a future instructor because there's a whole lot to becoming an instructor you know there's kind of like you're just because you're a good practitioner doesn't mean you're a good instructor mm. and you know there's even a level above that too just because you're a good instructor doesn't mean you're going to be a good owner um so we're sort of trying to crack the code on what it takes to become good at all of those things now yeah that um saw similarities in the teaching like incident management or project management stuff you can it, it is interesting how you know someone that's that's so knowledgeable that's so adept at something and then there's that skill set or the practice or just the learn te techniques, whatever the combination of that they have can have such a hard time translating that and relaying it to other people. Um, knowing, you know, you, you know, it's in there or, or they have the knowledge and, and that's interesting. So for the, the instructors, do you have a curriculum for them that you all have developed as well that you found have worked to build up, you know, how they present, how they teach, explaining the techniques and, and a, do you have an instructor kind of kind of sign off and, and review kind of like you do for students but focused on on quality instruction yeah we do we have um we have a couple of different types of instructor training right now um one is the um the very comprehensive intro program training that we have people walk through so i think you know i've taken inspiration from a lot of different um businesses throughout the years as i've tried to grow and understand business on my own and one of the um, anecdotes from learning about business that really stuck with me was a company called the container store oh, yeah. I think you know a lot of people that are uh, more domestic will probably understand what the <laughs> container store is right um, but you know it's it's um, a little different kind of a retail 
outlet than the norm. You know, the normal retail stores will take maybe like a week to train somebody on how to do a job. You know, sometimes it's more like, you know, two shifts or a shift and a half or something. You can punch in stuff at the register and then you're kind of friendly and you're good to go. But the container store takes some absurd amount of time, like 35 weeks or something to train people. And, you know, as, as a result, I recall hearing that their associates tend to stay around for a really long time and they don't have turnover costs and stuff like that. Um, and so that's sort of the approach that we try to try to use with our instructors at, at Revolution BJJ, um, and in our, our small growing network of gyms here. We you know, basically, if you go through a training process that's just a few weeks long, I just don't think you're going to understand what to do, how to interact with students. There's just not all the instances are going to come up that could come up where you could have a teachable moment or where you could learn. Um, so you, just for that reason alone, you need more time for that. Right. And then you need time for a system to actually work itself out. So for us, we do kind of um, three phases of training. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want to dig into too much of this stuff because it's going to put everybody to sleep. But basically, <laughs> like, the longer the process for training and the more rigid and systemized it is and then the more areas, uh, important areas you can cover, sort of like, you know, one of the areas is addressing the whole class. One of the areas is time management. You know, one is following the curriculum, knowing the material. Um, but notice like the knowing the material is only a small part of what, what the whole process is. Whereas, you know, somebody's like, well, the guy's a black belt, obviously he knows how to teach. Mm. That's, um, that's a very 1990s way to do jujitsu. Right, right. <laughs> and I think it's time, it's time for us to kind of start to creep out of that, uh, that arena. Yeah. I mean, those, those sound like all the best practice from le- reading, leadership books and, and business and things like that of, you know, all those presentation skills and, and, and yeah, are learned and reps and muscle memory are just invaluable and, uh, in, and in being able to do that. And, and honestly, one thing with doing a podcast, which is weird where you sit in front of a microphone, especially when you're by yourself, not having a conversation with somebody like this of then listening back and going, Oh, how many ums and clicks and pops did I make? And uh, I would imagine when you're trying to teach, and art, particularly something like that as well, reviewing it and going back and just getting that exposure is just super helpful for the for the, um, for the the growth too and for your experience that you mentioned before you mentioned and we brought it up earlier, US Grappling. Um, how did you get involved with that organization? And um, you know, from that, you mentioned using some of those lessons learned from marketing and promotion and things like that. And how did, did you come about um, the locations that you have those tournaments. Um, so how did you get started with us grappling and how did that grow? Well, um, you know, I, I've always been a hustler, I guess. <laughs> um, I've always been interested in, um, making a living, doing something I enjoy, I guess, to a degree. And also maybe like being my own boss, I guess. Okay. So those, those things have always kind of appealed to me. Um, I've always been very entrepreneurial as a kid too. I've always, I would always, um, I don't know, some kids collected, um, you know, baseball cards because they liked the players or whatever, or they collected comic books because they liked to read them. Uh, I collected comic books and, and baseball cards because I viewed them as almost like um, bond certificates, you know, like right. this is going to be worth more at a particular time in the future um, because I think it will accrue value. I guess a little more like stock ownership in that regard, but I didn't really view it as um, in the same way that other kids did. and. That's sort of the way that my, my childhood was. It was very different than a lot of other kids um, when, when they're kids. I was more of a collector and I was more entrepreneurial. I wanted to create stuff. Okay. And so I think that just shaped a lot of the way I did things, including jujitsu. When I first started jujitsu, 
Um, you know, I was in love, judo and jiu-jitsu. I loved both arts. Um, I wanted, you know, really, I wasn't interested in doing a whole lot of other stuff other than those two things. But I did have the entrepreneurial experience of being a kid, you know, um, uh, being a salesman, being a hustler, that kind of thing. And so I thought about how to apply that to jujitsu. And one of the ways that I was able to do that relatively early on was learning how to referee and learning how to work at tournaments. Uh, even if I wasn't allowed to referee, you know, because I wasn't the right rank or whatever, um, I could almost always help out at a tournament in exchange for participating for free. And so sort of through that grassroots volunteer level or, or maybe not volunteer, but like trade for competition level, um, that I got kind of a foot in the door with some of the tournaments and like, it's pretty awesome. You know, I could like travel place to place and get either get paid for doing something or at least compete for free. And this is back, you know, I might as well have been a junkie and the competitions might as well have been heroin um, (laughs) to shoot up for free. So to speak was really, uh, you know, worth its weight in gold back then. So traveling around and being able to do that was, um, offset to a large degree by being involved with working at the tournaments. Eventually the travel and the transportation was covered by sponsorships and stuff like that. So like none of the aspects of competition, um, were not all of them were necessarily paid for every single time, but it was offset enough to where it was like not such an expensive hobby anymore at the very, at the very least. So, I mean, gradually, basically long story short, I was involved with helping run tournaments before we decided that we wanted to run our own. Um, Somebody approached me to ask to help with a tournament and I said, no problem, I'll do it. Somebody else approached me later and said, would you run this tournament? And I said, "Uh, that's a little bit of a different story, but um, sure, I'll try. I mean, I'd been to, hundreds of tournaments, literally hundreds of tournaments by then. So I'd seen all kinds of stuff that worked and all kinds of stuff that didn't work. So I I thought that I understood um, some of the things that you could do to improve it. I mean, like most entrepreneurs, you see something out there that somebody else is doing and you say, well, here's how I could do it better. You know, it wasn't really any different with me in in tournaments. Um, I saw some areas of efficiency, particularly mat efficiency, where there could be a person that goes between one mat and another and moves matches around or goes to bracketing and gets additional matches or whatever. Um, I thought about the things that would make the experience better okay. for the competitors when they were registering the day of or registering on it, you know, online in advance or whatever and really thought that stuff through. And we tried to apply those notes to U.S. grappling in the early days. So, I mean, I think it's like you take a passionate advocate who doesn't mind being a project manager and you pretty much have an entrepreneur, you know, in that right, moment. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like that, like, uh, I think you use grassroots, but getting into something and just saying, you know what, I'll do whatever. I just want to help. And then as you absorb more and get more responsibility and people recognize you and then you're like, Oh, let me take this step on my own. That evolution, that process of starting at the ground level, you know, for you in this, and then really for other folks listening in, in something that you think you want to do, you know, and particularly, I think you see it with um, like new college grads or folks trying to get a job or something. Hey, should I do this? And some want to jump to the you know big job in the corner office, which is super hard to do or, or some other, you know, thing of, Hey, just go somewhere and intern or go somewhere and volunteer and put your time in. It sounds like that really paid off. And as a, you know, having competed in a couple of those tournaments and been there and watch folks and they're super well run. And it is very easy for the participant to, 
sign up online to get there to weigh in. Um, I'll say the Friday weigh in is fantastic to then be able to have cheeseburgers and show up the next day. <laughs> it's super, super helpful. Um, and yeah, the, the, you can tell the resource management, people management that's going on between, you know, the briefings and the refs and the, and the make user using all the mat space. So there's not kind of dead space, if you will, while folks are waiting, um, is pretty apparent. Um, so that's, that's pretty awesome to see. Yeah. Well, I think you, you touched on something that's pretty good there too. You know, um, Keep this another saying, another truism that I'm borrowing from a couple of books. Um, you often will vastly overestimate what you can do in a year, um, while vastly underestimating what you can do in ten years. So, like this idea of going and volunteering and doing stuff for free um, in order to learn a particular skill set. If you take the long view, that's like the very best use of your time, you know, doing the thing that you think you should be working on in order to learn, being mentored by somebody, being, you know, learning from an experienced person who's doing it as well, seeing it um, done through an experienced lens. That's a pretty valuable skill to have. And if you learn those skills now and you decide that you want to do something over the course of the next several years, you can really do quite a lot you know, over the course of a decade. Um, Jiu-Jitsu helps a lot for me, you know, with understanding that too, because like, you know, I wanted to be good at everything like overnight before. And now I'm just kind of like, well, okay, if this takes me until I'm 50 to get good at it, that's okay. You know, right. it's amazing <laughs> so, how it provides that perspective. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, between the, again, the vastest and, and being new of, you know, the, the, the vastness thing in the whole system that is, you know, it's hard to imagine, but to your point of, yeah, like oh, I should. I feel like I should be able to used to submit you or do this or get out of this and that. And then you, when you step back and think, oh, but this person's been doing this for a decade or two decades or whatever, so their muscle memory is unbelievably better, you know, and, and technique and knowledge and all that kind of stuff. And and similarly to like in the incident management world, so doing special event planning, like for the the team I was on in Central Virginia, we um, helped coordinate the public safety for the president vice presidential debate in Farmville. Uh, mm -hmm. And so when you bring new folks on the team, you know, someone wants to be a planning section chief, which is the project manager of the team, essentially. Uh, but it starts with being a check-in recorder and that's sitting at a table with a sign-in sheet and saying, please sign in, here's your radio. And like, that's what you do, which is not glamorous. It's not as high speed as being out there briefing everybody. Uh, but once you get to the point where you are coordinating the whole process or, or supporting the team in that aspect, it's really facilitating it. Um, you can think back on it and build on it and understand. So you're just way better at your at your job or what you do. Um, so that that foundation is just fantastic to get in there and do that. Yeah, there's a there's an analogy for um, pretty much everything in jujitsu. You know, it's like such a microcosm of life for all these kinds of things. You know, you taking your time and learning something or persistence or. Um, you know, going with the flow, there are all kinds of lessons that you can get from this stuff, which is why I just advocate it completely, you know, especially in today's world where everybody seems to just be sort of shouting at each other on social media <laughs> across a chasm. It's, you know, you can bridge that chasm. You can bridge it with grappling with jujitsu, you know, with actually physically touching people and stuff like that, you know, as creepy as that might sound. <laughs> right. There's something, there's something that's just, um, on, on a, uh, the primal level for us that we don't get anymore in the modern world right. that uh, I do think jujitsu provides better than anything else. Yeah, absolutely. And the, 
you know, for me, I can feel it if, if I, and I don't miss really class that often, but you know, when you do, you're like, man, that's that or exercise or, or something like that. But the, um, you know, the thought of going there and trying to break something, you know, or strangle someone or them do it to you. And then you're like, Oh, that was great. Good job. You know, the, it, it does, I think take special folks into your point about culture. And you can see that in the different gyms or the folks that you, that you do that with, but the, the precedent it sets for the rest of your day. So like, you know, I love the, the AM, you know, did zero six there at, at revolution and do seven here. And, um, then the rest of your day, if you know, you're at work or you're talking and you're like, Oh, there's no creamer left or, you know, some little thing or someone at Starbucks had to wait, um, you know, five extra minutes cause they were busy and they get all flustered and you're like, Hey man, like one year at a Starbucks, so life's pretty good. And then two, just, just take a breath. It's amazing what that, that struggle, you know, as often as you go to the class, um, it just makes everything way easier to, you know, just kind of echoing what you said. It's, it's, it's pretty astounding for the, the mental aspect of it as well as the physical. Um, and that's one thing too, of like, I was in decent shape before I started working out regularly and even, even now feeling the difference and, and seeing brand new folks coming in, um, you know, where it's like, there's, there's in shape and then there's like jujitsu in shape when, when you're going, wait a minute, I just did this, you know, cool, whatever exercise yesterday. I was fine. And then you grapple for two minutes and you're like, ah, just, just suck and win. So it's, I think that physical piece supplementing the mental and vice versa, it's, it's like therapy. I mean, it really can make a difference. I think for, you know, I, I think for folks that are having a hard time in different aspects too, and and that's probably something you've seen of, you know, whether it's military folks or public safety or someone in a bad situation in life that they've come in and you all through jujitsu have helped them work through some hard times. I imagine you've seen that quite a few times. Well, absolutely. You know, and you know, we're, I was meeting with uh, Keith Parknell earlier today, actually. Um, Keith is, um, one of our black belts, great guy, known him for a long time. Um, you know, he's teaching at Revolution BJJ Ashland now consistently with Jarrett, you know, great dude. And we were talking about exactly this, you know, like the people that are benefiting um, the most from jujitsu, you know, it's great to see somebody who finds a hobby that they love and finds a group of friends in a community. And that's extremely valuable. But then you have people who are um, constantly battling mental illness, you know, many, you know, many individuals I've seen that suffer through depression and, and, uh, many other ailments that are similar and jujitsu is able to help them just sort of get a handle on things, you know, to some degree, uh, or somebody who's comes in and they're just morbidly obese, you know, they're just really, really going to, um, have a heart attack and, and, and potentially, uh, die in the near future. And then, you know, maybe jujitsu doesn't get them into like rock solid shape, but maybe it gets them into um, condition enough to where they can, become more physically active in a future time in their life. You know, maybe they're only touched by jujitsu for a little while for a couple of years and then they go away, but it's enough to where they're going to, um, you know, hang in there and make it to the next step in life, whatever that entails. These are the types of people that really, really benefit from what we're doing. And so we have, I think we have a serious onus to keep our culture healthy, um, emotionally, uh, as well as, you know, physically with hygiene. I mean, we make a big deal out of hygiene, right. but I think that any intelligent gym owner is going to make a big deal out of hygiene if they want to stay in business. You know, it just makes sense. But, like, that's just the physical aspect of the health, and the safety of the students is a big deal, too, which is part of the reason we're not really super interested in MMA training. You know, for us, it's not um, compatible with extremely safe culture. Right. Um, but 
you know, but, but I mean, everybody is the arbiter of their own risk too. So there's some people who are going to want that risk more than others, but it's not for us to impose the risk on people. It's for us to make the training as safe as we can. And that's not just the physical, but that includes the psychological aspects of it, the emotional aspects of it, making it just a safe place, you know, for everybody to train and everybody to get the benefits from. I think, I mean, I, I absolutely believe that there is a, a large swath of the population that's not currently benefiting from Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu that could benefit from it. Right. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing this stuff that I'm doing. I wouldn't be so passionate about continuing to grow this art and continue to have an influence on it, um, you know, beyond just the, the scope of the two gems that we, we have right now. Yeah, for, you know, one of the things that you see, whether it's in memes or, you know, talking to people, try, try to always sell this, to you know, to folks that, that, that don't, practice it is the well i'm not in shape enough or you know you get karate chop hands or something like that but um you know for those folks understanding like this is just like if you as far as the physical benefit in addition to the actual practical self-defense and you know those kind of things you know like but they would sign up for a fitness class but feel like they couldn't sign up for jujitsu uh, is interesting or they'd go to the gym. Uh, but, but, but it's also a different, you know, to your point, there's no icebreaker like, Hey, here's day one. This is called the guard. I know you've never met somebody, but they're going to wrap their legs around you and you're, you're going to get in between your legs. Like, and then, you know, we're going to, uh, you know, do whatever the move is, but it's, it's the greatest icebreaker too, that I've thought like for a business as a, Hey, we're going to do a, a team development thing and it's going to be you know a few hours of jiu-jitsu we're going to show you some basic moves um now i don't know if you'd have to have hr there or whatever but you know it, it, it's the great thing to just to your point totally bond folks and go man that was super hard and we all did this um so even if it was a you know a way to work through some practical things or something like that but um you know i i, I thought of that before because you just you know you could see and, and i know you've seen a bunch of people's face where it's like wait we're getting in what position you know, when, you, when you're starting off. Um, but yeah, to that point, it, it, it helps you deal with people and talk to people more from all walks of life. I mean, talk about a swath of, you know, humans from different human experiences just walk into a jiu-jitsu gym and you, and you see it big time. Yeah, we've seen more and more of the sort of uh, the corporate approach, too, of there, there, there are some obvious benefits from this art. And I think that um, corporate America has begun slowly to wake up to that. Like any large group of people, it takes a long time, you know, for change to happen. But I think that it is happening. We've had people have taken advantage of what we offer for exactly the reasons that you're outlining there. You know, they're they're looking at um, team building, uh, kind of doing something that's outside of the normal comfort zone for most, uh, you know, employees for a given day. Right. And and making some friends, and we're at, we're actually starting to see. Um, probably being one of the bigger gyms in the area, you know, they're, they're, we're seeing people are drawn to us for that. They want to do like group, group intro classes and stuff like that. So it's still relatively new, a new phenomenon, I think. Right. Not that it was in the mainstream, but we also have to remember like this martial art for all intents and purposes is really 25 years old in America, you know, right. Um, you know, 27, 28 years old. It's not really fair to say that, you know, jiu-jitsu, Brazilian jiu-jitsu was in the public consciousness before 1993. It just wasn't. Right. Um, a small subset of martial artists knew what it was. And, um, uh, but, but I mean, like, that was an eclectic, very tiny group. 
it wasn't until it started blowing up. So, I mean, naturally the change is, is happening over time, but it's, we have to remember that stuff like karate, you know, it took right. a generation for karate to enter the main mainstream as like the martial artist of the public. I think we're seeing the same thing happen with Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I think it's just a matter of time before jiu-jitsu is the number one most widely practiced martial art in America. Um, wow. I think it's happening in front of our eyes right now. We can see the exponential growth of it. You know, 10 times as many people were doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu in, in 2005 as we're doing it in 93. That's probably fair to say. Probably a lot more than 10 times, actually. Probably more like 100 times. And it's probably 10 times as many are, we're doing, are doing it today as we're doing it back then. Um, and, and based on just absolute numbers that I know in the Richmond area and some other areas that I know pretty well, I think that's the math checks out. That's probably about right. So, I mean, I, I really think we can see another exponential leap up, especially as kids that are raised having done Brazilian jiu-jitsu are now having kids. Oh, wow. So, so we're starting to see that, you know, spread through a very different way. But it's one thing if, like, you um, – if, if you're telling your kid, I saw this on TV and I know it works, it's another thing entirely. <laughs> if you're like, I was raised doing this. Right. Um, this is the martial art that is effective. You know, all this other stuff is a bunch of garbage. Um no, I don't, I don't want to talk about how all, all of their martial sure. arts are because that's not really right. true, true either. That's completely overly simplistic. But, you know, there's a certain um, obvious efficacy to jiu-jitsu when you do it, when you're out there practicing it, that you can see and feel that just wasn't really present um, as much in martial arts in America before the influence of jiu-jitsu. Right. And, and with being able to do it and not give each other concussions like every, every other class or sparring or something. And, and, and a great point in another uh, emphasis of, you know, when you're, when you're rolling without totally spazzing out, like you're really having to use everything you have against someone, like every time you go to class. Um, and so you're practically applying it as opposed to some traditional. And I did Taekwondo as a kid and, and a little bit with my son when he was a little bit older uh, as opposed to like forms or kind of touch sparring or things like that. So unless you get into the aspect of actually, you know, fighting or, or, you know, competitive, it, it seems different than, um, you know, practicing the skills you just drilled or have drilled in the past regularly, um, you know, against other people. It's, it's, it just seems like an awesome, you know, I'm sure by design art itself, but then also to be able to apply that consistently. And so there's, there's, it's not as much of a question of, could I do this move if someone was actually trying to hit me or wrestle me or strangle me because you're doing it? You know? Yeah. That's a huge aspect. Oh, sorry, go ahead. There's an immediacy with Brazilian Jiu Jitsu that you don't really get with a lot of other martial arts, right? There's that immediacy of learning a move and then executing it against a resisting opponent, maybe that same day, um, or certainly doing things that you just practice that same day working on them with somebody who's who's literally trying as hard as they can not to do it to them. Right. I think that that goes to your point. I think that's a, a good way to put it. And it's neat when you are both of the same level and you both learn the same move and you're both trying to do the same move, but also trying to stop the same move. You're like, ah, oh. <clears throat> but uh, you know, again, part of that, that build up camaraderie, I think it's a great aspect. So it's like generational growth of the art now. And I, I hadn't thought about that of, you know, hitting the numbers that it has now and kids coming in and doing it. And I know there's a big kids program there. Um, and so reaching those and so you, You've been doing, and, and other folks that we mentioned, uh, Daniel and Trey and, and, and other folks, and Keith, and I think really everybody um, in Revolution is, has at some point been in the YouTube videos with the series of, you know, a whole bunch of different things. And then 
now reaching more generations growing on that and, and kind of bleeding into their or leading into the, the BJJ path. One kind of the YouTube, when did you all start doing that? And was it part of kind of to your point, wanting to spread the art and just the quality of it and get that out there and being entrepreneurial and recognizing that. And then that's, and then the evolution of that seems to be the, the path, uh, the BJJ path. Um, so how, how did you all get into YouTube? Um, and, and was that, you know, the, Hey, we've done this on YouTube for a lot. Now let's, you know, get this to more folks. Um, and as a kind of monetization or subscription service. Um, so what was that evolution for, for getting online presence at, you know, in addition to Facebook, but really YouTube to BJJ path. Okay. Um, well the YouTube stuff, you know, YouTube's always been kind of an extension of our gym, um, for us, uh, Revolution BJJ. So we, you know, we would shoot in the beginning. This was 2011. That's when the YouTube channel was created. Um, just some some videos of us candidly showing a couple of moves. Um, in 2012, we shot some somewhat professional videos. Gene Byard, one of our Muay Thai instructors, was uh, was good enough to uh, help us get some actual somewhat professional video up. And you know, these were fun to make. And I I was all about. I had. Um, studied a lot of video over the years, you know, um, seeing what other people were doing, um, was heavily involved with, uh, VHS tape trading, oh, nice. that was the way to get information, you know, there wasn't really a way to do it otherwise. And, um, you know, so it wasn't, uh, wasn't really exactly walking in cold. Um, but having studied what, what makes a good video, what makes it interesting, I understood kind of some things about length. Like, first of all, people want shorter videos, much shorter videos, um, if there's going to be an intro, it needs to be a really short intro, you know, right. um, that kind of stuff uh, sort of appealed to me right away. And then I just sort of applied the same kind of way to, of, of learning as I did with the Facebook stuff and just try to pay attention to just general best practices, you know, how to make a halfway decent video, um, how to how to socialize it. You know, we we didn't call it socializing it back then. It wasn't, right. you know, those words weren't used, but um so that was sort of the, the beginnings of it. And it was just a way to supplement kind of the, the school a little bit, you know, put some information out there. Um, I recognize that YouTube itself was a social media platform. So there was some utility and actually just having a video on YouTube. And in fact, I mean, I think I mentioned this already, but we've gotten some students from YouTube. So right. it's, it's actually more than fruit and, and proving itself worthwhile. But beyond that, it's just a supplement. It's a way to do videos. And so what happened somewhere along the way was uh, Rudy Fishman moved to Richmond. Uh, Rudy is a good friend of mine. He's um, a jiu-jitsu black belt, um, also a brain cancer survivor. Um, he runs a, a program called Brain Cancer Diaries that uh, your listeners might also really be interested in checking out. He's like, when he first started it, like he was effed up, like he was just having a rough time making videos. And now oh, wow. these videos are like really professionally well shot. And like, I think it's like Netflix quality almost, you know. Oh, wow. um, so on, you know, television producer, Rudy's got a lot of experience with that kind of stuff. But anyway, when um, one of the things that we wanted to do was have some video supplements for the intro program when we first started it. We were like, this is cool. Could we also have an additional layer of uh, instruction? And that layer is sort of the opportunity for people to review these videos. So we would, you know, let's say that we had um, Mondays and Wednesdays were our intro time slots. Um, you would show the lesson on Monday, then it would be repeated on Wednesday, the same lesson. Um, Tuesday, you would get a video, an email, and it would be um, or, or a page of videos that would be like two or three, the techniques that we covered in class. And so that was our idea, and Rudy helped execute that in the beginning. And we called it Revolution Coach. Um, so 
we own the domain revolutioncoach.info. It was like our, our niche until we integrated it back into just to the regular, regular website. It was a lot simpler that way. And so that's what we do now. So we still send out these videos for review, but sort of that was my first um, experience with playing around with um, video curriculum building. Okay. And around that same time, I was also um, interested in learning about passive income and revenue streams and things like that. And one of the things that I was looking into was writing articles. And I enjoyed writing anyway. And I was like, well, maybe I can kill two birds with one stone. I started writing about jujitsu. And, you know, so the idea being um, maybe one day this could produce passive income. But I was really just learning about writing and journalism and posting stuff online and everything. And um, but also I thought, okay, but this could also promote, you know, help promote the gym a little bit, um, help become a marketing tool. And so I was like one day I was making an article and I was like, why don't I just make a video article, you know, like a tutorial? Um, so, you know, in the 90s, you'd read magazines that would have um, breakdowns of techniques, and it would be like, here's picture one, picture two, and picture three, and right. you're supposed to figure out what the move is based on that. Um, but I always appreciated the description, the written description, and I knew that there was a certain percentage of people who enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, well, let me, I'll have a video, but then I'll also write a paragraph about it. Because there's, you know, Back then, I was I was just a I was a black belt, which was cool, but I wasn't anybody special, you know. There were other black belts that were out there that were making videos and everything, and I was like, well, you know, um, uh, my my opinion of my instruction has gone up since then. I think <laughs> I've, <laughs> I've 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 tried to constantly improve and modify it over time and everything, and I think that my video instruction is all right, you know, it's pretty good. But um, but back then, what differentiated it was not just the instruction itself but the ability for people to dive in with written text that they wanted to alongside the video. And for a certain, you know, group of people, I think that was a good thing. So I made a bunch of these tutorials. I made one, I put it out there. I was a little nervous and I was like, Oh, that did pretty well. Let me try another. And I made another and then I made another. And before I knew it, I had a whole bunch and I had this sort of like online library of maybe like a hundred different tutorials. And so this was all just completely organic, just sort of built up from the ground. Um, And, I realized at a point, like I could do something a whole lot better with this, you know? And so the whole lot better idea was, okay, it's going to be a walled garden, which sort of sucks because you have to pay to get there. But Mm. on the other hand, it's kind of awesome because it allows me to have the freedom to do this structure the way that I want to do it. And so the first thought was structure, like was sort of like putting it into more of an encyclopedic nature where you would have, you know, text links inside the text itself where you can hop from, tutorial to tutorial if you want to like if you're reading a wikipedia article or something and you get through and you're like oh that looks interesting let me hop over there right or if you're like me you know open it in a new tab and then finish the article yeah. along. Um, you know and then before you notice you have nine tabs open or whatever and that's that's pretty normal for me um and i suspected it was normal for other people too <clears throat> but then i was also like well you know because of the structure thing i could like start it almost like from scratch and build it almost as though it was like a curriculum and say okay well Here's the body of techniques for um, for the, everything within the guard. And I said, well, you have to start with closed guard and open guard, you know, two different types of guard, right? That's not the only way to break that down, but it's a it's an intelligent and reasonable way to do it. You say, all right, well, closed guard techniques go over here, open guard techniques go over here. And open guard, of course, has its own subset of techniques. You've got, you know, like half guard, you've got spider guard, you've got maybe daily heba guard, you know, um, maybe, you know, you consider butterfly guard, its own type of guard, you know, stuff like that. Gotcha. 
and start saying, okay, well, I could categorize these a bit further if I wanted to, but at what point do I stop going down this categorization rabbit hole, you know? Mm. Um, so it was really fun for me to build the the system out of that, the kind of, you know, the process, if you want, right, um, of getting to the point where the structure of the tutorials themselves made it into an encyclopedia. Um, but that's not really the long-term big picture is going to be utilizing um, machine learning um, over time to where the user will input some information. Like you'll say, okay, my name's Kevin. I'm, um, you know, devastatingly handsome, six foot, <laughs> six foot two or whatever. This, you know, this is my body type. These are my partners. Um, I like this type of guard pass. I like this type of sweep. This is my favorite submission. What do you got for me? And it gets you started down a sort of personal journey. So it's, uh, it's got some be kind of logic out. kind of planning for to fit your game, if you will. Yeah, there's that gamification element. That's one of the spots where that pops up. There are others too, but you know, that goes sort of back to something we were discussing earlier too. Like if you have a captive audience, that's one thing, but you if you're a really an educator, your your job is to get people to come back and want to be educated again, you know, not just here's the important stuff to show you. That's one piece of the puzzle, but the entertainment aspect is another piece of the puzzle. And the way to do the entertainment, I think, online is generally with gamification. Mm. And that's only one way to do it. You know, another way is simple stuff like you can have a checklist. People really like going through checklists, you know. If you have a checklist and you can see it propagating as you go through an individual video or tutorial or whatever, you'll want to kind of get through it. Um, but right now, so because of that, you know, it's going to take some work. It's going to take a lot of data and a lot of um, modifying data and studying it and stuff like that. What we're going to do in the interim is create essentially paths where you have a kind of a lesson. Um, so the tutorials themselves are individual tutorials. That might be like one classroom lesson where you go through and it's like, you know, um, how to pass the guard using the Kimura. But it's a very specific way to pass the guard using the Kimura. It has a couple of different video examples, maybe a couple of different techniques. But it's not a totally comprehensive way to do it, you know. Right. The path would be a much more comprehensive thing. Or it might even be a broader thing like how to open the closed guard, you know, um, you know, and it would be like five different tutorials that are steps on how to open the closed guard. And some of them are going to be pretty wild, like a Tazi pass or something like that. We were at the end, and you, you know, you sprawl your hips back and everything, get, get the guard open. Um, but it might start with a much more simple kind of a narrow way to do it. So the idea is right now we want to build these paths where how to, how to use the Kimura from the bottom, how to, um, that's, that's one that we're working on, how to do a knee cut pass. Right. Um, you know, this is probably like 20 or 25 different videos throughout these five, six, seven tutorials that make up a, a path. Um, right. So sort of like mastering an area. So that's where we're at right now with it. Um, we've got like 300 tutorials, which is comprised of probably about a thousand videos. Um, lots and lots of text, mountains of text in there if you're. Uh, a learner, if you can learn by watching a video and then reading a summary of it, then there's not a better website than BJJ Path. Um, that's sort of the niche that we're we're in right now. But eventually, the niche is going to be that personalized approach. And I just sort of think like an, an online personalized approach to learning is um, is absolutely the, the future of jujitsu. There's not really any argument there. You know, this is the way that pretty much everything has gone over time. Um, I was going to say, it's like a, it's like, you know, 
what is a business, but but like for this, you know, for jujitsu, it's like an online learning management system, you know, for jujitsu and, and thinking of shorter videos. Did, did you find that because uh, folks are like, oh, I got caught it caught in this or I couldn't finish that or, you know, we studied this and I can't remember. So they wanted that quick snippet and then to grab it that that led to kind of the feedback on, on the shorter videos. Yeah, some of that. Um, I think that, uh, you know, being a user myself, it's, it's like with, um, when U.S. grappling was getting started, it was sort of I put myself in the shoes of the competitors that were there. And I try to put myself in the shoes of people that are watching these videos. Right. I mean, I don't, I don't want to watch a 10-minute video when I can watch a one-minute video. You know, right. why, why do I want to do that? that um, I recognize that there's other people that might want longer videos, and I think that there's – it's okay for BJJ Path to have some longer videos too, but we want to be sure that we let people know if they're getting into something that's more than they want to chew, um, that they don't bite that off right at that moment. So that's sort of one of the um, considerations as we go forward too. But yeah, I mean, you know, I've gotten a lot of feedback from people. And, you know, one of the things that I guess it sort of surprised me about BJJ Path is some of the users, it really shouldn't surprise me that much. A lot of the users are either gym owners or instructors in their own right. And so oh, they're wow. using BJJ Path to help with like lesson planning, you know, and that's something that was an unintended, unintended thing that I, I, um, I knew for sure that we could do, um, video, uh, you know, instruction and stuff like that to help instructors learn because we've done that before at Revolution BJJ. We still do. Um, we have videos a whole lot better than, than writing stuff down in terms of, you know, accuracy and everything. And, people can digest it a whole lot quicker and stuff. But I didn't, I didn't really anticipate BJJ path to be that, you know, for people. Um, so for, to hear that from gym owners was surprising. And then I also heard uh, from a lot of people at revolution and at other locations that they would use the tutorials to drill, you know, for, for stuff like at home. Um, not necessarily like we have a drills class at revolution that um, we have, I guess there's five of them now, five a week. Um, where you, it's just dedicated drilling time. Okay. Um, but you know, it might not be, it might be at home. It might be with a friend at home. It might be at the gym. It might be like during an open mat or something too. That would gotcha. be a pretty common time for people to drill, but they're looking for, for us specifically, this is, I'm talking about like the drills class that we have where you show up and you have something to work on, you know, for, for 30 minutes and the people are like, okay, well I gotta, I'm going to do this class. I like to drill but I don't have anything to work on right now. What should I do? And one of the ideas from some of the people are to look into BJ path and say, I'd like to work on this move. You know, I'd like to practice this and get better at this. So it's a good prompt for them to know what, what they want or help them see what they want to do when they go to the drills class. Yeah, that's basically it. And then, you know, that was one of the surprises too, because a lot of the time I think that we were framing it as people are going to go and, um, learn these techniques for the first time, you know, or, and, and it's, and I mean, in a lot, in the language is framed that way to where you can walk in and you don't know anything about it. You can learn it, how to do it from, you know, from point A to point Z, but that's not the only thing that people are going in there for, right? A lot of people are going in there for, I know how to do this move. Um, I just want kind of a, a tracker on the steps in the move so that I can practice it. Maybe, focus on a detail or two, you know, that I need to adjust and correct. So I think it's probably more in the latter category than the former category, if I had to guess, which again, that was kind of a surprise. I thought right. for sure people seeing some of these moves for the first time. Um, so figuring out how to best apply, you know, those different groups of people and like, do we even want to cater to all the groups is another question that you have to ask. Right. Right. 
where you focus your efforts and, and things. And I'll say I'm, I'm a subscriber. It is great to your point. They'll write up. So I also enjoy the, what's the background I can see to do this. I can drill it, but what, you know, what's the, the theory behind it or the, you know, this order of operations or, you know, it, it is very helpful. And, and I'll say, um, help literally save my neck a couple of times, particularly the, I think one of the recent ones you did where you kind of sit out and put someone's elbow over you when they're trying to choke you. I was like, Oh, oh nice. let me try that. Yeah. So I've got uh, direct feedback that I at least didn't get choked as fast, but, but so <laughs> held it off. But, uh, but yeah, it is a, it is a great platform and it's uh bjjpath.com. Yeah, that's right. And mm. thanks for, thanks for saying that Kevin. It's good to hear um, from users. I always like hearing from people, from their experiences because again, I get surprised a lot, you know, mm -hmm. by what they're getting out of it. And, um, we actually recently did, um, you know, user feedback. We've got some analytics at the back end of the website, which is helpful to find out how people are getting from point A to point B and stuff like that so that we can determine if our strategy is working and things like that. Right. But actually like filming the screen of three people that are sort of like power users at our gym, um, we had them, you know, use it and just, just do screen capture, video screen capture and, um, you know, watching, observing how people are clicking around was incredibly helpful to understand, uh, some of those, uh, surprising, you know, things, revelations that pop up. Have you found folks, um, and we talked about, there's a lot more gyms around the United States, but there's still pockets. Um, where it's either remote or it's far away or something. Have you found folks that are using Path or even YouTube that you've gotten feedback that's like, hey, there's a gym, but it's 50 miles away. I can't make it with my shifts or whatever. And it's kind of a, you know, their learning system that that way too because they don't have access? Yes, absolutely. Um, that's, that's a pretty common thing to happen. Uh, we've even had international users, like there's um, – there were a couple of users in Eastern Europe, and um, I'm going to screw up if I try to name the country right now, but definitely there was a person in Belgium that was using the service, and there was somebody else that was uh, further east in Europe that was using the service. So it was really cool to see oh, yeah. and to hear their stories about how, like, you know, they just don't have any access. Basically, for them, it was more like access to high-level instruction, you know? And so, like, you know, maybe they'll have another... A brown belt or something that they'll see on a regular basis, but they don't have like a, a second or third degree black belt that's training with them. That's like, you know, I, I mean, I, and I think like when you get a, it sounds cliche, but when you get a black belt, you start learning in jujitsu. You hear that all the time. Um, but I mean, it's, it's kind of true. Like you get to the point where you have uh, enough vocabulary to have a conversation, I think is a good way to put it. That's pretty much it. That's what you, you have when you reach black belt you don't really know, um, <laughs> wow. you don't have mastery of jujitsu or something like that, you know, which is again, a year and a half in pretty astounding to hear from, is it roughly a decade, a little more, um, for a black belt resume jujitsu and then go, Oh, welcome to jujitsu. Like, which is what it sounds like when you're saying then, is that also cause you're, you've learned kind of, and you know, if I screw this up, you've learned, you know, the moves and you, you're good at it and you've rolled in things, but then, now you're at the high level where you're in the, the master class of sharing more knowledge and doing that. Is, is that part of the evolution where you say, okay, now you're, now you're actually kind of there or not quite there or just get ready, getting ready to start it. But how, cause from, from where I'm at, it seems like, wow, that that's it. But you know, you've, you've been in this for a while. And so what was that like for you as well? So, or is that a thought that you had? So you hit black belt and you're like, 
oh, wow, there's still so much more there. And that was years ago. So since then, you know, you've just gotten in all the different aspects we've talked to all the process of, you know, business growth and instructor growth and then growing, you know, other instructors and, and something like that. Um, to me, it seems astounding that when you've put that much time and effort already in there that you can grow. But I guess the point is you, you're always growing and there's, there's really never a, a stoppage of, oh, I know it all. I think I'm good. Well, that's, that's definitely true. I mean, you, you're definitely always going to be learning and I think that's true of any field, right? Um, you know, you mentioned, uh, project management, right? Like, well, there's quite a lot of different layers of, of understanding of project management, right? Like there's a sort of idea that's very rudimentary of, you know, I'm going to have a task and I'm going to write it down and it's going to go into this category and it's going to be the category is either going to be it's about to happen or it's happening right now or it's completed right right and it's sort of like you can get very um big picture with it and that gives you some kind of an understanding of it um and and let me jump away from project management and move into language which i think i understand a little bit better you know mm-hmm. um to me jujitsu i've used this way to describe it a lot more recently i think this is my favorite um, jiu-jitsu is a lot like language in regard in this regard like if you're starting out and you're a, a white belt and you you reach you know blue belt or you know decent white belt level or whatever you have spent a couple of years writing letters on the chalkboard you know mm-hmm. you've written your abcs um you've gotten to the point where you can now make letters reasonably well then you get to blue belt and it's time to learn how to Put those letters together into words you know and you, you make some words and they're, they're pretty words and they're good words and they people understand what the words mean but by the time you're maybe a purple belt you start making sentences from the words and you start putting them together you say all right well um i can make full sentences now that's pretty good um you know maybe when you're a brown belt you're making paragraphs and maybe when you're a black belt you're making you're writing entire um papers right but does that mean you're a writer you know right um, I don't know. I mean, that's kind of up for debate. I think it means that you understand at least the mechanics of how to write, but that's about as far as I think I'd be willing to take it. So for me, it's kind of like I've got the tools that I need in order to write, right? In order to solve my own problems in jujitsu, in order to analyze a situation and come up with what a solution is, or maybe in order to understand a new style of, say, passing the guard or, or doing a submission a particular way. Um, I would not have had that vocabulary 15 years ago. There's no way. I just wouldn't have had the understanding of how to learn, how to apply this new knowledge. Um, so I, I really think jujitsu is like writing in that regard and like, like using language in that regard. You want to become a writer. That's what your aspiration is when you start doing jujitsu. And so the first couple of years you start out learning letters and then you can put them together into words and then sentences and then on into paragraphs and you're still not really writing when you're making paragraphs, but you're getting close. And I think when you get to black belt for a lot of people, um, and, and don't get me wrong, black belt is different for everybody. You know, it's some black belts mean different things than other black belts. You might get a black belt at one location after training for four or five years, you know, who knows? Um, I mean, hopefully not too many locations, <laughs> that, but I mean, you know, whatever, everybody, it's a little different. It's not like universal. I'm only really speaking of my own experience here, mm-hmm. but, you know, my experience colors the way that we try to promote our students too, right? I really want our students to understand jiu-jitsu when they get their black belt, or at least understand enough of the game so that they can write their own books, 
You know, that's really the, the best way to put it. You want to be able to write your own books. And if you don't have that understanding and, and we, we cut you loose, then you don't really uh, have enough of an understanding to get started um, making it your own. You know, and that's really what it's about. It's kind of making it your own art. That's a great analogy. And, and um, selfishly was like that, you know, that when you went through the first, it was like, that's the perfect soundbite to promote this episode. <laughs> like it, like yeah. it's a great, it's a great bite and a great philosophy <clears throat> to give people an understanding. Cause it is, you know, different from other kind of very traditional uh, martial arts. And, and really to that also, you know, wondering your perspective for both, the so that you know for both the new practitioner kind of your expectations and your advice and there's probably tons of it um but but kind of overall for folks that are getting into jiu-jitsu they know they're going to do it you know from your experience what what about the the, the process for them is going to help them make the most progress for for the jiu-jitsu practitioner in your eyes well you know i think um if I can go back to something we were talking about earlier, um, you know, you can do a lot in 10 years, a lot more than you think you can get done. And, and you probably can get a lot less than one year done than you think you can. So if there's any way that a beginner can sort of calibrate their expectations to say, you know, this is a long journey. I'm investing in myself here and I'm taking my time to understand this stuff. Um, that goes a long way. And the reason, one of the big reasons for that is that, that essentially colors how you train on a daily basis. So like if you're out there and you're training and your immediate objective is to win, then you're not going to get very much out of the training. Um, you know, you're just going to go out there and, and, um, somebody's going to try to pass your guard and you're going to shut them down, you know? And then that same, somebody's going to try to pass your guard again. You're going to shut them down. You know, you're going to do the same thing to them over and over again because you know, you can. Mm. And so you're going to continue to beat that person. Um, or on the other hand, you know, somebody's going to beat you and you're going to get mad and you're not going to understand why they're beating you or what's happening. You know, I should stop saying why they're beating you. Beat, right. <laughs> but it feels mm -hmm. like it when it, when it happens. So I, I, I know what you mean though, as far as putting a move on your, you know, to your point though. Yeah. So, you know, getting, uh, taking a longer term approach in the beginning, <clears throat> I think helps people more than anything else. If you can say, this is going to take a while you are going to get good at it. The gains that you're making on a daily basis, you might not feel it, but you're getting better. Um, getting people to calibrate that expectation and understand that this is a grind and it's going to be a long time. Um, you know, at the same time with jujitsu, you do see results a lot faster than you do with um, any other martial art I've ever been a part of. Like boxing, you know, you can you can train for a couple of years and still get your ass kicked by somebody who's brand new. Um, maybe not. Maybe I'm just really bad at striking in general, yeah. but I think it's to an extent it's true that, you know, in jiu-jitsu you can train for a few months and you can probably beat an average condition ranked beginner, mm -hmm. you know, whereas you don't necessarily see those results from other things that you're doing. Um, but at the same time, because it's so complicated, you know, you've, you've got to stick with this stuff for a really long time in order to begin to reach that level of understanding. And that's what I think that would help the most. I mean, the old, there's the old adage of kind of get the ego out of the way, and that's mm. that's certainly true. But I think what I'm trying to drive at is how to get the ego out of the way, you know, because we're all humans and we all have massive egos that, that do get in the way of our progress from time to time. Right. And 
if you listen to enough jujitsu podcasts, you're going to hear, get your ego out of the way, you know, leave your ego at home or whatever. That's all well and good. But what happens and how do you do it and why do you do it? Right. What is, what is the, what is the mechanism for doing that? For me, the mechanism is long-term big picture, being able to see where you're going to be in 10 years or 15 years or whatever from this stuff. Um, and, and understanding that, being a good training partner is even more important than the other stuff. Like if people don't like training with you, they're not going to help you get better. If people legitimately like training with you, um, the sky's the limit, you know, they're going to actually help you improve. So being a good training partner, taking care of your partners, not kicking them in the head and so forth, you know, hand in hand, like, you know, to a large degree, not kicking people in the head means you're not being super competitive which means they're going to like you more, which means they're going to want to train with you more. But it also means that you're not going to inhibit your own learning because when you're kicking people in the head, you're you know, winning at all costs and not really observing what's happening and not letting the person work to an extent, feeling how they're escaping positions and things like that, you know, if you're better than somebody. So, you know, you have to kind of, you have to kind of take the long view and you have to let that um, uh, describe your behavior. Right. You know, <clears throat> saying that and, and um, you know, knowing it's a partnership, it's teamwork with everybody else in your class. I know I have benefited a ton from folks that could have just and did every now. I mean, tap me out for sure, but could have done it in a much meaner way. Um, but then go, oh, here's here's something you could do for that to not happen or not happen as easy or talk through it. And then, you know, with, with, with to your point about the, the brand new person compared to, you know, a few months in or a year and a half in or something. And the difference there is, is just amazing and actually feeling, I mean, it, it does feel good for someone that's, you know, equivalent for me, just speaking personally, equivalent skills been around, you know, and you have a great role and you both learn and, you know, you're going back and forth and, and you get the upper hand or something like that. But then also to your point of someone that's just come in, there's clear nervousness, you know, just like I had brand new nervous. Um, and it's like, man, these positions are weird and it feels like, you know, they're, they're way aggressive or unsure and just kind of talking to that person like a, like a new person at a job or, you know, but in this case, a new person in jujitsu of helping them feel welcome, helping them understand, like we're all in this, we've all gone through that together. Um, and then knowing, and it seems to, Jiu-jitsu seems to weed out. So if you get the person that's coming in there, whether it's in an intro or first class or a couple classes, and they're trying to win like the world championship against everybody, they seem to not be there much longer, right? Because the, it seems like the gym or themselves kind of weed themselves out. Um, and it seems like it, it's, it seems like that's a change from what you were describing, you know, in the earlier days of really just jumping in there to now. Um, have you seen that? as well at revolution. So folks that come in, they're really amped up, they're going. And then the, you know, either folks help them get past that or they realize, Hey, this isn't my thing. Yeah, we've, we've absolutely seen that at revolution. I mean, I, I think that, um, you see it more across the nation and across the world, um, nowadays than you used to see it where brand new beginners and even people have been trained for a year or two don't have to be cutthroat competitive in order to survive but you don't see it nearly as much um, as you ought to um, outside of our gym Um, honestly I think that's one thing that we do extremely well that I'm probably the most proud of out of all the things that we do I think that we get to the point where you know it's not across the board it's not universal and everybody's a work in progress myself included Um, but getting I think that we've done a good job of 
helping people understand the big picture, not forcing them to um, win at all costs and helping them, helping them, you know, get that, you know, you're in this with your teammates. Like that's a big part of what we're doing. We're all kind of evolving together. Um, you know, we can always do better at revolution and we will continue to try to improve, but I've seen massive improvements and I've seen, you know, the overall culture of jujitsu across the country, you know, and, and, and even in the world, as I've said, like it's improving, it's becoming safer for people to train and, um, for people to take risks and make mistakes and stuff like that. But this is not happening overnight, and it's not something that's going to be a fast transformation at all. Um, it, it is happening throughout the world, and um, we have a, a lot more control over what happens inside a revolution, obviously, than we do um, outside of the global, you know, the, the community of jiu-jitsu. But we view ourselves as, like, citizens of that community, too, you know. So, like, every gym has a, a degree of influence over the, the culture of all the other gyms. And so, you know, we, we have a decent sized gym, so we have a pretty good influence over the culture that surrounds us, at least in our geographic area immediately, but also because of, you know, BJJ Path and our YouTube presence and other um, uh, reasons, you know, we have a, a national presence too, and even like a, a baby international presence too. So it's important for us to kind of continue to set that example and, and um, be leaders in the direction that we think that jujitsu should head in. I think that's incredibly important. And so, yeah, we have seen a lot of improvements um, at, at our gym and now at Ashland, um, Revolution BJ Ashland, you know, which is uh, we started it from the, from the very beginning with the culture that we wanted in mind, you know. So that was a kind of a different approach to mm-hmm. we're definitely getting in the we're heading in the right direction for sure. Yeah. And from, you know, being that the start where I started, thanks for for all that, for the benefit of your lessons learned, of your evolution where going on a couple hours um is there and there's a and speaking of um tournaments we talked about too there's one coming up in march radio scrappling tournament what yeah um, so i've been a silent partner with us grappling now for a number of years although i talk with the partners about stuff i just am not an active participant in the events or in the event planning hmm. um uh march 7th virginia beach is the next event and um, I literally had to pull up the website in order to see it. Yeah. I'm looking. <laughs> Sorry, call it putting you on the spot okay. for that one. Yeah, it's it's okay. It's a. I mean, you know, I don't I don't mind talking about that either because it's really different when you're trying to do a bunch of things. You know, you have to have people that you can trust that that you let do things. Um, you just have to have people you can trust and let them do their thing. You know, and and I think with uh, U.S. Grappling, we're very fortunate. Um, Brian and Chrissy Lindsay are my partners, and they're their ethos has always been never have never ever questioned um, their ethics with um, wanting to do the right thing for the competitors. Um, that's always been their best interest. So when I, when I did step away because it was in the interest of growing revolution um, several years ago, it was easy for me to make that decision, you know, because right. I trusted them. And we've had um, John bagels. Telford has been a big part of the organization, you know, with uh, uh, planning the events and organizing them, getting people to come out for them and stuff like that. Um, same, same thing, you know, bagels is essentially where I was, um, a long time ago with having competed a whole bunch, you know, he, right. he's been obsessed with competition for a long time and he's competed at a very high level and done quite well. And as a result, he's seen what makes a good tournament happen. So, you know, I can, I can leave the, the keys with those guys, so to speak. And I know they're going to do a good job. But of course, the one that I'm more excited about is the April one in Richmond, um, mm. 
because it will be here and we'll have a lot of students that will go out for that and I'll be able to coach them and things like that. That's awesome. But um, Yeah, it's, it's great to see the, the organization uh, running well, running itself. I mean, uh, by running itself, I mean I'm not involved on a daily basis. <laughs> but, uh, it's, it's, a, it's really um, something I feel very good telling our students to do suggesting to other students from other locations if they're looking for a tournament you know i can absolutely tell them u.s grappling is a great place to compete it's a good first tournament to do the referees actually care about your safety there you know um they're 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 after the customer experience more or less that's that's the best way to put it yeah it 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 is pretty awesome uh and, and well run um so thank you again uh for all the links and stuff we've talked about um, U.S. Grappling, BJJ Path, Revolution, uh, all the folks we mentioned. Um, I'll make sure to have all the contact info or um, links to the to the sites. Um, I I think pretty great to hear your evolution, your story, the you know getting into growing growing yourself, growing the business, the process of joining, which is interesting. How you know you you meet folks and circumstances happen that that you then join together and then grow and uh, just really love hearing about that and, and hope other folks, you know, that are listening benefit from that as well of taking the chance, starting from the ground up, making those relationships and partnerships. And um, you know, sometimes the ups and downs of, like you mentioned, not knowing if you have a home or not um, listening to the customer uh, and just really the, the love that you can, you can hear in jujitsu. And, and again, we'll totally advocate for anyone listening to this that is not a practitioner uh, to go check it out wherever you are. Um, and, and we'll have your contact and everything as well. So thank you very much for, for your time. Uh, I really appreciate it. I think it was a good chat. It's amazing when you're just chatting about stuff that is interesting and, and, you know, good conversation, how fast time can go by, which is, which is awesome. Um, to your point. So, um, anything else happening that you want to let folks know about? Uh, no, man, I think we, we did a pretty good job of covering it. Um, you did a really nice job of, of navigating the conversation, Kevin. I appreciate the opportunity to come on here and just talk about what's going on in my brain a lot of the time, you know? <laughs> yeah. It, it's neat. That, that's one thing I've found with um, one discussions and then, you know, podcasts and sharing that is the, the medium to have this and then share with folks that will hear it and benefit. And to your, to your point, talk about things is just, it's pretty awesome uh, in this day and age that, you know, we can put that out there. Um, man, thank you so much. When I'm, you know, in Richmond again, hope to stop by and train with folks there and, and um, really enjoy the experience. And again, everybody, Revolution BJJ in Richmond, um, Andrew Smith, thank you, thank you so much for your time, and we'll uh, stay in touch. Thanks a lot, Kevin. I really appreciate it, man. Yep. Great job. Absolutely. Have a great weekend. See you, man. Right. See you, buddy. Bye.